Payo is a payment platform made by Hospital for Hospital. And their new self-checkout technology, Payo Checkout, is here to help you manage your venue. It lets your customers easily settle the bill at the end of their meal in seconds by scanning a Payo Checkout QR code on their table. Start offering self-checkout for your customers and save an average of 10 minutes per table with Payo Checkout, the fastest way to pay in hospitality venues. Visit payo.com.au. Welcome to another Principle of Hospitality podcast. Thanks so much for tuning in. My name is Sean DeVries. Principle of Hospitality has been developed to tell the stories of professionals within the dynamic world of hospitality. We are straight talking, ethically minded and a reliable online source of information and inspiration for people in the hospitality industry. Now with today's podcast, today's guest, Karen Dollimore, has carved out an impressive career in hospitality where she's developed an unwavering passion for wine. She has been the head sommelier at Lotus Barangaroo for the past six years and prior to Lotus, Karen honed her skills in wine and hospitality while working at some of Sydney's most iconic restaurants such as Catalina Rose Bay and Otto at Woolloomooloo. Karen's wine philosophy is to encourage people to try something new and different to enhance a guest dining experience. So I feel really fortunate to have Karen on the podcast today. Hey, Karen, how are you? Oh, hi, Sean. Hi, thanks for having me. Good, thank you. Absolutely fantastic to have you on. We've been talking with a couple of people about wine uh, in the industry recently. Oh, yeah. Um, so I feel really lucky. I feel really lucky to have you on, especially, you know, a fantastic person like yourself, <laughs> a female as a, as a head som, obviously, with a great history in the in the hospitality industry. So I think we're going to, we're definitely going to learn a lot today, right? So let's talk about okay. how you actually started out in the industry itself. It, it was quite a while back. Um, I kind of fell into the industry, actually. I was um, in sort of an area sales manager of a, a cosmetic house and uh, went traveling, came back and girlfriend of mine was uh, running a restaurant and desperately needed help and uh, asked me to come in and give her a hand, um, you know, for a couple of nights. And I said, look, there's no way I can do that. I said, I'm so clumsy. I said, I can't carry any plates or glasses. Oh my God. So she was really insistent and I warned her that I was going to drop everything and cover customers in food. And she didn't care. She was that desperate for stuff. So I ended up going and helping her out for a couple of nights um, in addition to my sort of full-time job. And um, that sort of progressed into a few weeks. And then I, I really developed a, a sort of liking for the lifestyle. I thought, you know, I, I didn't have the boundaries created by, you know, budgets and boardrooms and all that kind of stuff. And I was really enjoying experiencing, you know, um, chatting with customers and talking about food and learning about different ingredients and different dishes and, and, and sort of selling and tasting some wine. So I ended up making a, a huge uh, career change and ended up stepping into the hospitality industry full time, which I never saw myself doing. Um, I sort of went from there to, I didn't really like being a waiter because I was kind of you know, a manager in a role in my corporate life anyway. So I thought, you know, I kind of like the industry and I kind of like the lifestyle it sort of affords you. So, you know, I, I, 
I want to take another sort of sidestep and I, I want to go, I want to be a restaurant manager. Yeah, I got a little gig in a really prominent venue in East Sydney, sort of full of A-listers and celebrities. And it was Italian. And I, I started working with some amazing Italian wines, Barolos and uh, Brunellos and, you know, things I'd never heard of before amongst all amazing iconic Australian producers and sort of from there it just grew after a couple of years I ended up yeah down at, at Catalina working uh, as a wine waiter you know I decided to you know um, progress a little bit more and focus on the on the wine side of things rather than the the venue management for a while um, wanted to learn more and thought the only way I can do that is to sort of you know accept a, a wine related junior role so yeah I was sort of taken under the wing of the head sommelier at Catalina at the time and you know they had a I think almost 500 bottle wine list which is really overwhelming really intimidating and yeah he he started to teach me a lot and I just realized that there was so much to learn and uh, I just didn't understand why these wines were thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars. People were paying all this money for these, these really expensive wines. So, um, yeah, just wanted to learn more about it. When you wanted to go from restaurant management, you know, and then decide you actually wanted to be a SOM, was that a, was that a hard choice for you? Like, was that... Was that a theory over many sort of weeks or months no. that you sort of made that decision? Yeah, or was, it, 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 was there sort of a moment that made you change? Well, I, you know, I was managing, you know, venues for, you know, maybe three or four or five years. And I just really, really enjoyed wine. The more I tasted different varieties, the more I sold, you know, amazing expensive bottles from Burgundy and Bordeaux and all over the world, it sort of became a hobby to me. So I started buying books and wine atlases and just spending a lot of my spare time not working reading reading and learning and just tasting buying different bottles from you know the bottle shop and just trying to understand what was going on but you know it's just it's mind-boggling it's endless endless it's really you know a lifelong sort of journey like it's just changing all the time it really is yeah, I sort of went from there and stayed there for a few years and ended up back managing again, managing small bistros and restaurants in the eastern suburbs where I, I was curating the small lists and um, as well as running the venues. And, you know, from there I started sort of winning awards, you know, sort of best small wine list through restaurant and catering. And then each year I was getting awarded one goblet for my small list from um, Wine List of the Year Awards, Gourmet Traveller. And it was really inspiring me just to keep going you know it was really really interesting it's so fascinating there's so many amazing people you know from the from the vignerons to the winemakers to you know the people in the wine industry that you know it's just a really you know a great story there's just so many obstacles that they come across and you know so many different styles of winemaking and yeah it's just fascinating it really is you know every day I'm still learning that's a that's a positive thing, especially you know it's someone good. of your caliber and your exactly. career. Like you're still learning every day. Yeah, that's and awesome. I mean, you know, I'm mm. I'm a spring chicken. I'm a middle aged gal, you know. But yeah, there's there's still quite a long road ahead. You know, you can you can take it. And the thing about wine is, you can take it anywhere you really want to. You know, I've got peers that are MWs um, that that I've worked with. I've I know other people that are doing the Court of Master Sommelier, their diploma of wine. You know, there's so many different things you can do with it you know, should you choose. But I mean, because it is so consuming, it does take up a lot, large chunk of your private time. You know, I did my, completed my Westset Level 3 through Lotus Dining. You know, that was extensive enough, you know, having a, a, a pretty, pretty busy 
private life and, you know, just trying to find that work-life balance when you're working 45 hours a week and trying to study, let alone having a family and all those things that you've got to manage. To take on those studies, to get those credentials, yeah, really a sort of personal choice, one which, you know, I don't have time for. But you learn so much on the job. You really do. You know, you, you, you're doing tastings all the time. You do, you know, you, you're going to masterclasses. You're uh, meeting winemakers. You're, so it's, you know, about a lot more than actually service and serving wine on the floor and recommending wine on the floor. But, you know, I, that's what I enjoy the most about being a SOM is being able to bring something to the customer that they may or may not normally drink. You know, I mean, we're all sort of creatures of habit and stay in our, you know, our comfort zones of either liking or not liking Chardonnay or, you know, drinking Pinot Grigio everywhere you go or, you know, it it gets a little bit boring. So, you know, being a SOM, we get to get customers to step outside their comfort zone a little bit, I suppose, which, you know, I love. And getting them to have such an interesting, enjoyable experience of giving them something different according to, you know, listening to them and what they normally drink and, you know, sort of sidestepping a little bit and getting introducing them to something new. And I have so many customers come back and tell me how much they enjoyed their previous experience, whether it be weeks or months or a year or two ago. It's, it's amazing what they remember when they leave by you creating these experiences for them. And it's not a pretentious thing. It's actually giving the customer what they want. And I think if anything I hate about being a song in the industry is that pretension, you know, because mm. a lot of people are afraid to ask you questions because they think you're going to recommend the most expensive bottle or, you know, give them something that they're not going to like. But, you know, it's all about listening to them, listening to their sort of, you know, letting them guide you as far as price point, uh, what they're willing to spend, and then having balance on your list to be able to take them on a little journey. That's what I love. You know, if they're having one bottle or whether they're having three or four bottles, just taking them on that journey of progression of weight, flavour and body. It's great. I love it. So, I mean, with the awards you've won as well, Karen, that you just talked about then, like for people who, you know, you obviously know how to build an amazing wine list, right? Like how do you kind of tips do you have for people who are building those wine lists where they sort of be small, big or medium and, and also how to refresh them? Like how often you'd actually refresh a wine list at a, at a contemporary venue these days? Yeah, good question. I mean, you know, there's so much wine out there. You know, you, you just go into vintage sellers or damn movies and then, you know, aisles and walls and wall wine. And obviously those guys have a lot of buying power. And, you know, that's what I try and stay away from on my lists. You know, the last thing I want really, and, and you do have to have a balance. You know, you start with having your core grape varieties that everybody knows. You know, in an amazing country here, we really need to um, support different styles from different regions and having a balance with that. But also be, you know, conscious of of price point, having a balance of price points for the customer, you know, something that's quality but reasonably priced. And there's a lot of wine out there that's great quality and great value. Um, And that's achievable by building relationships with suppliers, getting them introducing you to new winemakers coming through, new things that are on the market that you may not have heard, heard of before. You know, getting involved, getting them to come in for tastings. You know, it's just about stay, you know, keeping on top top of the market trends and, you know, reading sort of wine reviews and 
Um, but I think price and quality is very important, but you also need to have a balance of sort of a little bit of vintage variation, you know, older vintages, some a sort of splattering, depending on the size of your list and venue, you know, of really well-known producers as well. But I think there's so much room to, you know, balance that out with a lot of new fun things, you know, there's minimal intervention uh, winemaking, going on which you know the, the sort of millennials are getting into and there's so much great wine out there i remember trying you know these sort of orange natural wines five or six years ago and you know i used to think god without any winemaking going on without you know um any oak or any of this or any of that like it's just you know it, you can have one glass two glasses and i was done with it but you mm. know i've now got a section on my wine list for those styles of wines because the wines being made are amazing. They really are. So, yeah, you just need a, a balance. You need to be aware of having things that the customer wants, being careful not to have too much that's available in, in large chains because you don't need to. There's so much more wine out there. Um, and it's really fun to introduce new things to customers. Changing lists, well, it's amazing because when you do start, when you buy back vintages and you get a lot of things in the industry that are on an allocation only, that the winemakers only make a certain amount. They have vintages where they don't make any. So it depends on your buying power, I suppose, as a venue. But when you're only getting small allocations, you do run out of things on your list really quickly. Vintage changes all the time. Yeah, so you do need to change your list. I change my list maybe Every six weeks, every six weeks I need to refresh with 20 or 30 wines and I, I think I'm sitting at about 260 wines on my list at the moment. Yeah, so it's never ending. <laughs> it's never ending, really. Um, and as soon as you sell out of one thing, you'll find that the customers are going for the thing below it and above it. So you have to keep your eye on that as well. And then you sell out of that and then you go to reorder it and it's out of stock until the next vintage is released. So... Yeah, it's a total pain in the butt. <laughs> yeah, I bet. And they never tell you either. They never tell you. So it's only until you go and reorder it, and then you've got all these. Just a break in the podcast to let you know that Fine Food Australia returns this September to Melbourne. For nearly four decades, Fine Food has been the leading trade event for all food, from retail to hospitality, manufacturing to bakery. Visiting Fine Food will be the recipe to fast track your business for commercial success. Just a reminder that this is a free event to attend, so make sure you register at finefoodaustralia.com.au. Now back to the podcast. Holes in your list. But... Has, has that been even more of a challenge now because of uh, challenges with supply chain and, and getting things off boats and absolutely. stuff like that from overseas? Yeah, you know? absolutely. That's been really hard. Absolutely. Things are taking a lot longer things are costing more for importers. And, you know, especially I've been trying to source some um, burgundy whites for the list. There's hardly any coming through and, you know, all the prices have gone up so much. So, yeah, there's so many factors that affect your list. And, you know, even if you've only got a 50-bottle list, <laughs> you know, you're going to go through the similar things but just, you know, without as much pain. But you've got to keep all those things in mind, you know. Do you... <laughs> 
the, the right sort of cellaring for a lot of your old wines as well, you know. Um, mm. There's a lot of wine, you know, sort of a lot of the easier drinking wines coming through that only have a certain shelf life. And, you know, are you going to be able to sell it? Are your staff going to be able to sell it? Do you really mm. want to sit on that stock? How much should I buy? So you need to be really mindful of, of everything when you're doing your list because the last thing you do want to do is while it really looks good, you need to be able to sell it too. 100%. I want, to, I want to talk a bit later in the podcast about how you go about doing that uh, and training that into your staff. Mm. Um, all right, Karen, I would imagine that working as a venue manager in your previous career, but also as a head som is what you do now, obviously, has allowed you to see holistically both sides of the business and it's given you the opportunity to make much more educated decisions, do you think? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think you, you come to um, appreciate the, the dining experience as a whole um, from, you know, basically the, the staff interaction uh, when the customers arrive to making sure that, um, you know, the, the, the food is perfect and the service is perfect, but also that, that you know, that the, the beverage um, program that's aligned with the, the, the food menus are also um, complementing each other. So, yeah, I mean, I, it, it gives you a great um, sort of um, overview of um, the entire experience, which is, I think, really important and really valuable um, because, you know, there's a, there's, you do get stuck, you know, only seeing sort of one side of it so or a certain side of it because that's all that you're involved with. Um, so, yeah, it's, um, it's definitely a, a positive thing being able to, to glance at a room um and and see exactly where everybody's at um Mm. in you know in a dining perspective just a break in the podcast to let you know that fine food australia returns this september to melbourne for nearly four decades fine food has been the leading trade event for all food from retail to hospitality manufactory to bakery visiting fine food will be the recipe to fast track your business for commercial success just a reminder that this is a free event to attend, so make sure you register at findfoodaustralia.com.au. Now back to the podcast. Yeah, for sure. Now, obviously with with mentoring women in the wine industry and, and reading into your bio and, and obviously learning so much about you the last couple of weeks as we've done our research. Like, can you explain why the mentoring women in the wine industry is so important? And then as as an industry, what we can better do to support women in the industry as well? Yeah, um, look, that's a tough one. Obviously, um, the pandemic has changed a lot as far as... um, uh, staff and their sort of skill sets in the country, um, you know, having a lot of um, skilled migrants coming through to sort of further their careers here and get more experience in, in, in various roles now sort of all gone. Mm. Um, it's a, quite a big challenge for us because we're, we're faced with, you know, quite a green, brand new um, team coming through. And I'm sure, you know, that's across a lot of industries. Mm. Um, so while it's a challenge, I think it's also um, a great opportunity to um, lead and inspire and grow from within. 
Um, you know, but at the same time, I think, you know, a, a lot of the, the new teams, you know, they're still finding their self and what they really which enjoy about about the industry. Mm. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's, um, yeah, interesting times ahead, definitely. Um, you know, I've discussed this with a lot of my colleagues and um, we're, we're kind of having to refocus the way we approach training, um, you know, sort of simplify things a little bit. <clears throat> make it more fun, um, you know, more involve them more, uh, you know, make them want to um, sort of step up and grow within themselves, um, you know, which we haven't had to sort of nurture as much in the past, you know, that the mm. people knew where they wanted to go, what they wanted from the industry. Um, but, you know, as, as far as um, female it, females in, in the industry, I think that, um, you know, we're seeing more and more, female SOMs coming through, you know, I, ha I get told a lot by customers that it's great to see, you know, women on the floor serving and talking about wine and um, basically telling the stories, um, you know, that, that used to be such a male-dominated role mm. uh, and male-dominated industry. And, um, you know, you're seeing so many more female, you know, vignerons in the vineyard and winemakers and, you know, getting so many accolades and, you know, they're all winning amazing industry rewards and because you know they're they're producing some outstanding wines um you know a lot of my f favorite uh, winemakers are, are females and mm. you know i think that there's a huge growth in the industry uh, a huge movement for women um as far as um supporting women in in the industry i you know, it, it's good to see. I'm noticing more and more women sort of coming through the supply chains. Um, you know, so that's an opportunity for them to, you know, progress and and you know move up the ranks. But I think they also need uh, to be recognised, mm. you know, and rewarded for their achievements, which I I think often get overlooked for men because men are stronger. You know, and men can can do more because you know a lot of what we do is very physical. You know, moving stock in the in the vineyard. You know, <laughs> yeah, of course. Um, but you know, women can do just as much as men. So yeah, go for it, girls. <laughs> we support each other. What do you, What do you think it has taken till now uh, for that for women to come through a bit more? Has something has something changed in a really positive way? that it's allowed women to sort of break through I think it's a bit been more? happening for a while, but I, I think, you know, they're getting more recognition for it um, mm -hmm. and it's it's so much more common. You know, a lot of them have been doing it for years, but, you know, not a lot of time they're talked about. But, yeah, I think it's getting stronger and stronger. So, yeah, really exciting. Do, do you think there's anything more that we could be sort of doing in the industry? Because it is, as you sort of said, this is a moment that we can actually use to amplify you know women's voices diversity uh inside the industry both in the wine industry and hospitality industry uh as well the, the reason i ask is i had a conversation with a brand the other day and they were looking through uh their job descriptions of their of their team and they're actually a tech brand they for hospitality but they were taking away a lot of their male dominated language with inside their job descriptions mm. which i thought was really unique and i actually hadn't heard that before and I just, I just, it sort of just highlighted to me like what, what do we need to do as an industry to actually amplify those voices and take an opportunity here to actually chase the game? 
Oh, look, that's a really tough question. I'm certainly not an expert. Um, it's something that's sort of evolving and, and growing um, organically anyway. But um, I think definitely those those sort of movements within, you know, hiring and, and, and structuring uh, job placements and, you know, making it inclusive for women. Mm. You know, I, I think, you know, obviously you have to be careful with um, um, sort of segregation as far as separating men and women and of course. Uh, job diversity. But, yeah, oh, it's a hard one. It's a hard one. Mm. Maybe it's not a – I'm not the right person to answer that question. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was just super curious on your thoughts. I think it's just yeah, an, it's well, an evolution, I, I not a revolution. I wish I had those answers. If I did, I'd be a politician, I think. <laughs> Most definitely. Karen, my final my final question to you is like, what are you excited about, you know, both for your own career the rest of this year and into 2023 and obviously for, for Lotus Dining Group? You guys are doing some amazing things at the moment. Yes, we are. Um, there's some really exciting things happening. Um, I've just been promoted to Group Sommelier wow. with the Lotus Dining Group. So that's, um, that's really exciting for me. They have new venues opening in the future, so there'll be lots to do. I think in general, the industry, if anything, that the pandemic's taught us is that Australia's in a really good place. Our wine industry is in a, in a really good place. New generation of winemakers coming through in the last, you know, five or ten years, you know, they, they travel the world and they come back and they employ different sort of techniques and they're throwing out the rule books of, the way things used to be done and um, they're doing, you know, all kinds of experimental um, fermentations and, you know, working with new varietals that you see rarely in Australia. But I think we've got, you know, amazing diversity in our regions, in our microclimate, you know, all over the country. We can grow almost anything here and... We are. We're starting to, and you know, there's so many things coming through that I've never even heard of. It's it's yeah, it's mind-boggling. So, I think that we're in a really good place. You know, the winemakers have their challenges. You know, with global warming, bushfires, all that kind of stuff. Um, it's just awful. You know, but mm. they still get up and get out into the in into the vineyards and do it all over again. It's really a labour of love, and you know, I'm sure a lot of them don't get their wine into the marketplace or you know, don't make a lot at, at all, you know. It's a, it's definitely a labour of love. And I just love supporting and appreciating what we have here and what we do and what they do. And, yeah, I think it's just so exciting, really exciting. There's some cracking stuff happening. And I just think that we should all support amazing products that we have here. Yeah. Um, tell the story of our winemakers and, you know, their stories and... Absolutely. There's a lot to be proud of and uh, we're very lucky as an industry to have, you know, veterans like yourself who have done such a great job for our industry and really highlighting how fantastic this industry is and, and, and the career that we can have. So I appreciate that uh, for yourself. Karen, what's the best way that people find out more about Lotus Dining? Because I think after today, like some people are going to want to work for the group and especially under your leadership now that you're, you know, group Ed Som, like a lot of inspiration, I'd imagine. So what's the best way that people can find out a bit more information? Yeah, well, it's an an amazing group to work for. They've been nothing but supportive of me through my career. Uh, You know, nearly everyone that has worked for the company has been here for, you know, uh, years. So we'd we'd love to see some uh, new 
you know, sort of growth coming through for, you know, that we can inspire and mentor. Lotus Dining Group, you can basically go to a website for any of the venues. There are seven, I believe, at the moment. So, yeah, just Lotus Dining and pick your venue. Beautiful. Um, All the menus are there. All the beverage lists are there. Everything's delicious. So we can't wait to see you. Thank you. That's linked up in the show notes this podcast as always. Karen Dollarmore, thanks so much for your time. Thank you very much, Sean. <laughs> thanks so much for tuning to another episode of Principle of Hospitality. I hope you really enjoyed that one, especially as we're talking a bit more about wine these couple of seasons. So I hope you're learning a bit more. And if you don't know us at Post, Sash, my co-founder from Principal Design, has one of the best design agencies in Australia. So if you're looking for anything around strategy, branding, digital design, wayfinding, and graphic design, you can find them at principaldesign.com.au. And myself at Open Pantry Consulting for anything to do around systems and processes to make your business run even more smoothly. We're also launching 42 Days really soon to talk about people development and the first six weeks of someone's employment. Thanks so much for tuning in to another episode. And until next time, stay safe, everyone. Payo is a payment platform made by Hospital for Hospital. And their new self-checkout technology, Payo Checkout, is here to help you manage your venue. It lets your customers easily settle the bill at the end of their meal in seconds by scanning a Payo Checkout QR code on their table. No apps, no downloads required. Give your customers the convenience of lightning-fast contactless payments and the option to split the bill however they like. Get more tips with Payo Checkout's integrated tipping system and get paid upfront once your customers have confirmed their payment. Start offering self-checkout for your customers and save an average of 10 minutes per table with Payo Checkout, the fastest way to pay in hospitality venues. Setting up Payo Checkout is seamless and pain-free. Visit payo.com.au.